Greetings everyone, this is Jim Emmerich. Welcome to the Chointcast, interviews and short stories from across the world that connect us with people who wish to share their stories about leadership, where this passion comes from, and the goodness that results. Are you a marathoner or triathlete? In episode 16, we meet Dr. Allison Iring, author of Pacing for Growth, Why Intelligent Restraint Drives Long-Term Success, who has run marathons and is currently training for a triathlon. Dr. Iring is a growth expert, organizational psychologist, and CEO of Organization Solutions in Singapore, which combines her 25-plus years advising the Fortune and Financial Times Stock Exchange 500 and some of the most innovative high-growth companies on earth with what she has learned from training for ultra-marathons. She applies endurance training concepts like finding the right pace, pushing yourself to your maximum capacity, building capabilities for the future, and conserving energy to lead business growth. Dr. Iring has a lifelong passion for helping others reach their ultimate potential. Welcome, everyone. Today we have Dr. Allison Iring, who's written a terrific book, Pacing for Growth, Why Intelligent Restraint Drives Long-Term Success, which basically makes an analog between running and training and enduring growth for a company. Welcome, Dr. Iring. Thanks, Jim. It's great to be here. One of these days, we might have to tell the full backstory to how, how this actually happened. But for right now, can you share with us what some of your favorite passions or causes are? Well, I certainly care about a lot of things, but I think that uh, probably what I, I most often support is other people who are passionate about a cause that's making other people's lives better. And I think one of the ways you've done that, which would be fun for you to share, is you've you've adopted some children. Can you briefly tell us about that? Uh, yeah, I'm very, actually, I have two lovely daughters, 16 and 14, almost 14. Um, both are from China. Um, in fact, that's one of the things that uh, certainly my husband and I care a lot about is about adoption. We, we, we'd love to be in a world where all children are loved and have a family. Um, so yeah, it's rich. It's made our lives richer. Oh, I think we can say that you and your husband walk the talk, and that's that's wonderful. How do we how do we find you, Allison? How do we find you online? Well, I'm super easy to find on Twitter. It's just Dr. Allison Iring. Uh, I often will use the hashtag uh, Growth Leader, uh, so you can find me that way. And anybody that follows me, I'll follow back. You can also find me on LinkedIn, and th- then I don't always connect with everybody. So if they just mention you or your podcast, then I'd be I'd love to connect with them. That's great. Now, as the audience might be wondering, with especially with the adoption, you're based in Singapore. Can you tell us something fun? about your international experience since you're based in Singapore and your organization touches most of the world? Oh, I, I just have so many stories. I, I would, the, the story I will share is one that took place a few years ago. Um, I was training for a hundred kilometer race in Mongolia. And at that time in my life, uh, my company had, was doing some work in Botswana. And I was very fortunate that I got to go to Botswana once a quarter. And so I, once a quarter, I'd go to Botswana and I'd time my long runs to be in Botswana, which for those of you who have not been in Botswana, it's a little bit like West Texas. So it's it's actually very dry. It's beautiful. It's flat. Uh, of course, it was nothing like the, uh, the Mongolia setting, which was a whole other story. But I had 
just a great experience running the 30, 50, and 80 kilometer runs in Botswana. And I, people, even though it's very safe, they didn't want me to run by myself. So I'd have teams of people that would run with me. And I just had a wonderful time and I made friends that I'm still friends with today. Sounds like a great running accountability group too. <laughs> it was. And they kept going too. They, one group, I started by just walking and one group, they still walk. It's really wonderful. That's pretty neat. Well, let's turn to your book now, Pacing for Growth. In your book, Allison, you compare growing a company to endurance training. What led you to your endurance training, triathlons and racing? Well, when I grew up, I I did I was in sports. I was a, I was a gymnast and I would do recreational running. But it really changed for me about 16 years ago when I lost my mom and dad in a car accident. Um, and you know anyone hearing this can imagine that 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 situation is just so overwhelming. And I was so overwhelmed with grief. I I I looked for a way to to cope. And the way that I I discovered that I could cope was to run. So I, I started walking and I started running. Eventually I did a marathon. And by the time I finished the marathon, I realized that I didn't really need to run anymore to grieve their loss, but that I really just loved to run. And I, I've continued to do it over the years uh, after I tore my calf. I went to something that I think is gentler for my body, which is triathlons. Very good. By the way, we'll, in, in the future we can share, I my primary training is that's always my go back to especially when i'm when i'm overtraining my legs is is rowing so we'll we'll be able to talk about that in the future maybe you know one of my favorite parts of your book is is when you mention what we can call the scarcity mindset it's a recurring theme in in your work it's a recurring theme in other recent books and joint casts you likewise call for an abundance mindset especially when it comes to people development tell us a little bit about that well, I just, I, I, what I see in the organizations that we work with is that anytime you're in a business that's, or any kind of organization that's growing or that's in a, in a state of change or transformation, you've got to be able to develop anyone, anytime, anywhere. You can't afford to be thinking that there's really just a small pool of elite people that you're going to invest in and develop because your business itself is changing. And so in order to be able to, to cope with that business change, your people have to be changing at a faster pace. Um, so I, I think that in, having an abundance mindset with relationship to development is about really grasping every opportunity to leverage experience and challenge uh, as development opportunities and, and also really having a sense of urgency uh, and, a, and a faster pace by which we grow and develop people. I think sometimes we just fall into that kind of long, slow distance kind of pace where people aren't changing and they're not growing as fast as they need to for a growing business. Now, the word I'm going to assign to that is priority. In, in our leadership courses, and I just had one last week, getting people to understand it's the value of knowing someone's dreams not just let's say their vocational goals is powerful but you've you've upped it by saying it's it's an urgent priority and i really like that you also share some real life stories and that's probably one of the funnest part of your your book pacing for growth you mentioned organizations such as Krispy Kreme and qxl in your experience what are some of the most commonly corrupted 
core values or principles observed in organizations and what can we do to prevent such an outcome? I think there's maybe think about let's maybe there think about two different types of businesses because I think that there's one kind of business that's that sort of super high growth business um, that is very focused on growth and sometimes it's growth at any cost. And that kind of organization really learns the hard way that they 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 have to have restraint. They're, hopefully they have some intelligent restraint. But they go too fast, they create a toxic culture or people do bad things. I mean, there's all kinds of bad stories of cooking books or becoming abusive. So I think that the, what they really lose, they, they go too far. Um, and I think that they don't know how to have enough control in order to be able to sustain the kind of growth. So I think there's this other kind of organization that's a bit, it's sort of an older, more established, more successful organization that has a set of principles around how it wants to operate. And it also wants growth. That These organizations, they want to be innovative. They say they want growth, but then they spit out leaders who are disruptive and push too hard to change things. So on one hand, they espouse the desire to grow and to innovate and to disrupt, but they want people not who do that, but actually who fit in. And so here and with those organizations, and I think the, the challenge for them is learning not to push harder. So I think both of, depending on the kind of organization you have, you can either go overboard or underboard. Interesting. I really like that. It seems your second model is the one that I experienced when our small company years ago was acquired. So you got me thinking about that a little bit. You've got a, a growth readiness framework, which reminded me of Stanley McChrystal's change in thinking that he shared in the, the wonderful book, Team at Teams. Can you share with us how outside-in thinking and customer-aligned innovation drives what you call an external orientation? Sure. You know, there, I wrote about these, those two capabilities, the outside in thinking and customer aligned innovation in pacing for growth, because research shows they're so important. Well, the research shows that external orientation is a, one of the key drivers of growth. And it's something that's so important for all organizations to have. Now I think of them kind of like muscles really, and that they're muscles that allow the organization to adapt in a way that makes their customer's life better. And both of the these capabilities or muscles really require us to be able to empathize with customers and see the way that they see the world and not the way that we want it, them to see the world. So it's easy for us to, to, to have a desire for them to, to want what we have or to think we're great, but to actually be able to see the world as they see it uh, allows us to drive adaptation uh, and successful change within an organization. Fantastic. You say it's important for a leader to say no uh, to opportunities sometimes. And one of your examples that occurs throughout pacing for growth is Pizza Hut. Can you tell us a little bit about that, that saying no? Well, you said it earlier, Jim. You know, the, I think the magic word is priorities. It's so Sometimes it's easy for us to say yes, and it's hard to say no. But the only way we can actually have priorities is if we choose not to do certain things. And, and in doing so, it really gives us clarity of what's important, how we're going to allocate our time, what we're going to not do, and what we're going to stop doing. And I think it's kind of easy to say, but it's extremely hard to do. My colleague and friend Jeff Boss, who's a former Navy SEAL, he expresses the same term, uh, clarity, 
that's one of the primary objectives that we want to get to as a leader that really seems to sort a lot of things out we can say. Now, according to many subordinates, leaders often use their, we can say, self-identified strengths too much. Can you comment and perhaps give us an example? Sure. Well, you're you're citing some great research that I talked about in um, in Pacing for Growth, which, which was uh, done by a group, some uh, academics that studied thousands of leaders that where they asked them to identify their key strengths, and it, that was very easy for the leaders to do. Uh, then they went to their subordinates and they said, okay, now look at all of these things and tell us, does your supervisor do it too much, too little, or just right? And what they discovered was that the subordinates were way significantly more likely to see their manager overusing what they saw as their strength. Um, so they say, yeah, you know, you're, you're strategic, but you know, you kind of overdo that. You overuse that. Um, but then on some of the parallel capabilities, like say, let's say I'm the person rating and one of my strengths is that I'm very um, driven, you know, so the opposite of driven might be being receptive and being open. So then in this research that my subordinates are saying, yeah, well, you know, you're kind of too driven and you're not open enough and receptive enough. So I think sometimes we overplay strengths. I think Strengths are great. They give us passion and excitement. But if you think about why generally people don't fail uh, because of their strengths, unless they're overusing them, they we often have weaknesses that we really need to learn how to deal with. Um, and that, uh, that working through those things actually makes us a better person. We bring up on, on day one of our leadership excellence courses our tendencies to overplay our strengths. What I really like is the feedback from the subordinates, if you would, you know, the, the gentle reminder about what we do. And it, it's, it's certainly powerful when we actually ask for that genuine feedback when we're comfortable enough to do it. What is, That's awesome. <laughs> what, has, what has all this training taught you about energy and in particular energy self-management um, and how leaders can do the same? Well, definitely doing, other than time management, I've really learned a lot about how to manage uh, a, a ton of different priorities or different different things. I think endurance training has really taught me a lot about managing my own energy. And, and when I say that, I mean both physical and mental. And I think probably, and you know, you're an endurance athlete yourself, so that you would agree that it's probably the mental energy that is probably harder and more important than the physical um, you know, and I got to say that I, I do see today a lot more leaders that think about their energy. Um, they tend to focus on physical, you know, more and more. I, I, I interact with leaders that are thinking about exercising and thinking about their, how they eat and sleep. Um, and increasingly, I also see there a level of awareness about the per about purpose, you know, and people talking about why purpose is important and how it's a source of emotional energy. Um, I guess what I don't see as much of, and I'm, I really want to see more of is leadership teams thinking strategically about energy as an asset for their business. And I think that when we can manage energy collectively as leaders, we have an opportunity to conserve energy in the organization. We can help replenish energy, you know, kind of like a battery that goes down. We can help people replenish it and we can help renew uh, energy with passion and purpose and joy and awesome work. 
the extension to Teams, that's really fascinating. I've done a similar thing as you suggested, whereas I like to align my day and events during the day, even such as this this podcast, to, to my energy level. Can you give us an example of, a, of this in a team orientation where your group has done that or perhaps a client? Well, actually, I can give you an example. Um, I, I'm in my organization. We have been doing work in over the last eight years in workplace transformation, which is really often triggered by an organization that is either moving offices or they're changing offices. And um, we've been working the, over the last couple of years with Google and we help them with the regional uh, move into their new office. And one of the things in, in there, this is not, not a secret. They, they talk openly about the work they do in helping manage energy. Um, but they actually use, they actually are helping their employees think about how to manage their energy with their workspace and and how do you, you know, when when they need, say, focus and really deep thinking that they are they want them to seek out spaces at work that help them uh, do that. Or when they need energy from others, they go into a workplace where they can interact in a playful way with people or just in a in a work, a pr- productive way with with their colleagues. So I think that's a lovely example of that. actually at a very strategic level in organization thinking about energy and helping people manage their energy. But, you know, it could also be a really simple thing. Like just sometimes I like to just ask teams to, to share what, what gives you energy and what zaps your energy and, you know, how can we work together to, to build energy together? I, I think sometimes just those simple questions can be very powerful. I agree. And I, and I think one of the first steps is actually to just start replacing the word time with energy whenever it's possible. And I think that's a nice starting point for some of us. Now, we've only got uh, about three, three questions left. Training budgets are often the first cut in an organization. And in, in fact, I, I think I had one of these calls yesterday um, realizing that. What does that tell us about developmental goals as a priority and how big an issue is this in your experience? Oh, I, well, certainly throughout my career, I, I've observed that phenomena of um, cutting training budgets. You know, sometimes what I think is that people with it that are leading the training functions are struggling because they're not articulating the business case for what they're doing. They're not providing evidence that there's impact on the business. So I, in that way, I think that's, it's not really about there's a, there's a, misconnect or disconnect between the saying it's important and not. I think there's just not a case, but I, you know, in my mind, maybe the bigger problem is one that too often we, you know, we, either, we, we equate training and development, right. Or we say that, or we think, well, tra- development only happens in training. So if we've done training, then development's happened. And I, I guess I just, I really think that the mindset we have to have is that there's a portfolio of things that that we need to help people develop, um, but that as leaders we have to just be constantly looking at people as an asset, and you know assets increase in value, they decrease in value, or they stay the same. And I think sometimes we just aren't like we lack this disciplined or hard way of thinking about training or around development. And we, we start to think, Oh, it's kind of nice, or we want to send people to training. We want them to feel valued and happy. But 
I just kind of keep coming back to this idea that, wow, you know, we as leaders, we have to have a sense of urgency because if we're not helping our people grow, we're not helping them develop, we're not doing that faster in a more intentional way, however can our business have the capacity to perform today as it also transforms for the future? It's a nice answer. We have we have an advanced workshop that we call effective decision making. And one of the fun things about that is we like to distinguish later in the workshop two different decision making process processes. One of them is time based decision making and the other is developmental. And it's always fun to watch the audience in, in, in the class respond to the, the the possibility that there can actually be a decision-making process as a leader that's focused on development of people. And I think you just tapped on the same thing because if we don't do that, we're really treating people in a superficial way. So I really like that answer. Yeah, and I love the way that you're thinking about it too because the act of making a decision is incredibly developmental for people. In fact, the, one of the greatest ways that we can develop people is by empowering them to make decisions and then help, you know, helping them. Sometimes the, maybe they need some support or they need information or they need some review. Um, but that's certainly one of the best ways, not only to develop individual, but also team capabilities. Right. It's, it's, it almost suggests that, you know, a pause button is in order when we're a leader rather than to, to jump to, a one-track decision-making process, we can just pause and ask the question, hey, is, yeah. there, is, is there a developmental opportunity here? And, and once we decide that there's a possibility there, it's a completely different sequence for the decision-making process. Yeah. I tell this one story in my book about this leader um, who's at Microsoft, and he was, uh, he was heading up marketing for the region. And his, the concern he had was that he, what, he was wanting to really stretch his team and so he had this competition where he gave everyone a budget of a certain amount of money and they had to go away and pitch ideas for a marketing campaign. And one of the things that he did that I thought was so clever was that in the past, they would always use ROI as the key metric for the success of these types of interventions. And this time what he said was, well, we want that, but we're going to look at LOI, which was learning on, inter on investment, which I love. And so they looked at both ROI and LOI. And as a result, some of the projects that were or the campaigns that were run were complete failures, but the learnings were so great that they were able to then take them and apply them to another situation that was then fabulously successful. I love that term, LOI. Well, we, we, often, we often hear lessons learned, but I don't think we've ever heard it, equated it to something as, as well known as ROI. Terrific answer. Two questions left, Allison. You've got a real fun part on page 136, tips to get the most value from experience. What are your favorites? That, wow, that question's so hard. It's like saying, which child do you love best? Um, I, the one that I think I like most is probably about the one that asks about, do you have enough opportunities to practice? And I particularly think this is important because we don't think about the importance of deliberate practice in the acquisition of new capabilities. And particularly for leaders, we'll often put somebody into a role as a new leader, kind of orient them, or maybe we send them to training, but we don't really say, you know, it's actually going to take you three or five times of doing, having really rich 
performance discussions with people for you to master it. Or maybe it's going to take 10. And then let me guide you so that as you go through those first time, you know, eight times and you're learning, you're really getting good at it. Um, so I think that would be one. Uh, the, I really like them all, but that's the one that I think we often don't think about. Well, one thing I was going to say is that um, we, there's an article in it. We have a perspective section on our website that has articles. And there's one article called, Are You Ready to Go Faster? And in that article, uh, you can go into a survey, an online survey that would let lets you take that test. Like you go in and you think about an experience and it asks you a series of questions and then it gives you a score or like an index of how good this experience is. So it can help you think about, you know, is this a really rich experience or is it, you know, sort of ho-hum, let me not worry about it so much. And what's the link to that again? Well, it's the at organizationsolutions.com website in our library called Perspectives. It sounds like a great resource. One of the, there's a lot on that checklist on page 136, and the mastery part certainly caught my eye. I also liked the part in there where you really supported um, autonomy when people could, could go off mm. as they master things and, if you would, delegate the opportunity for that independence. So our, our last question, based on your book, Allison, of the five steps in your P-A-C-E-R, or PACER model, which is the most important to you? So PACER is our model of well-being. So it's peace, adaptability, control, energy, and relationship. So I have a natural love of energy, but I would say that I think the one that's most important to me is relationship. And the reason is because I tend to become very focused myself. I'm quite driven. Um, when things are tough, I have a tendency to kind of go inside myself and so what I find is that really continuously investing in relationships and people who matter to me is very important. It's a, it's a wonderful conclusion there. So keep that in mind, everyone, the, the PACER model and relationships and energy. So if we look ahead, um, Allison, what projects are you working on now that you'd like to share with the audience? Oh, my goodness. Um, what projects? We Well, we have some pretty exciting things going on um, from a, uh, in terms of the, this book. The most exciting thing is that we're just starting to talk about um, a sequel. Not a sequel to it, but it'd be a book on growth leadership. And um, I want to – I actually want to write this with my COO and also my husband and a fellow organization psychologist, uh, James. And so we're, we've started talking about that. And our, as a company, Organization Solutions does so much work around growth. That's really our DNA. And so I th I'm the most excited about that and the launch of our growth leader assessment and, and our continued work in this space. Well, I hope I get invited to, to view or witness or at least see the, the end outcome when you put that together. Thank you so much for, for sharing your, your wonderful stories with us, Allison. Pacing for Growth, Why Intelligent Restraint Drives Long-Term Success. Um, look her up. Thanks again, Dr. Eyring. Thank you so much, Jim. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for listening today. If you've enjoyed the joint cast, a positive review and kind word to your friends and colleagues would be most appreciated. Make sure to follow us on Twitter, hashtag Choink, C-H-O-I-N-Q-U-E.